as we venture into a new year, uh, 2014, uh, we're approaching that time of the year when people start making their year-end kind of predictions and uh, their resolutions about how the new year is going to change and what it's going to look like. And I don't know about all that. I've tried some of that in the past. Some of it's worked, some of it hasn't. But uh, I want to base today on the Word of God, which is unfailing. Amen? It doesn't change. And so there is some good answers for us today that we can, we can draw from Scripture that will help us in this year to come. And I believe that God can give us great victory in 2014. I want to start out, and hopefully you got some notes as you walked in. If you didn't, you can raise your hand, and I think the ushers will get those to you. To you, but I've entitled today's message on the necks of kings. It's a little bit of an interesting title, uh, and there's just a few points here. And I know we've got the kids in here, so I'm going to try to make this a little bit quick, so that we don't uh, um, string things out too long. But under point number one, if you're following in your notes, uh, is the point he waits. I've entitled it "He Waits," and there's a beautiful scripture that has really, um, over the last, I would say, two years been been my key scripture. It's been that one scripture that just always is coming back to me time and time again. And I think as I am able to share with you on January 12th, you'll have a better understanding as to why this scripture. I'm kind of setting it up today on a very personal level for you and I in our walk with the Lord. But it says here in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, it's going to come up here behind me in just a minute, verses 12 through 13. Uh, out of the NIV, it says, But when this priest, speaking of Jesus, that he had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Now there is just an eternal amount of information right here in this little text We could talk both today and all the Sundays in front of us about the incredible job or the completed work that allowed Christ to sit down at the right hand of God knowing that it was done and that it was finished. The Bible is very clear here and it says that he waits. And so as we have celebrated this past week, his coming to earth, his death, his resurrection, his sacrifice on our behalf, and all the benefits that come to us in the beautiful package of salvation, there is something that Christ is waiting for even now today as we are in these chairs in this auditorium, and he is in heaven, he waits, and he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. The very good news for you and I is that our enemies are Christ's enemies. When it comes to sin, when it comes to the devil's forces, when it comes to his evil schemes and his strategies, when the devil picks a fight with us, he picks a fight with our Savior, with our Master. And so we certainly are on the winning side. And he, the Lord Christ himself, is waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. Now this word or term footstool is used throughout the text in many different places. You can trace it back into the Old Testament and you can uh, it's quoted from many times even on the day of Pentecost. It's quoted from Stephen, it's quoted here in the New Testament multiple times that we are in this period of waiting. We know that through the work of the cross And what Jesus Christ accomplished, Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 tells us, 
this, that Christ stripped principalities of their power, he made an open spectacle of them in the heavenlies, and he triumphed over the power of the enemy and of the devil by the cross. But this verse tells us that he's waiting. He's waiting for that victory that was accomplished 2,000 years ago to be fully enforced both now, today, through his body of believers here on earth, that's you and I, that our job and our role today is to take the victory that Christ won for us 2,000 years ago, to hold that banner up high, to remind the devil of his defeat, and to claim that victory, and to make the enemies of Christ his footstool to bring them in subjection to his authority, to his rule, to his place on the throne of God where he is seated over all of creation, where he is the name above every name and everything is subject to him. Yet the Bible even says in an earlier place in Hebrews that we still don't see everything subject to him. In principle, <laughs> it's it's happened, but now comes the experience part of it. How many knows that sometimes there's a big difference between what your head knows and what your heart knows? <laughs> sometimes there's a big difference in working out. Uh, um, you know that God has called you to be free. You know that God has called you to walk in joy all the time. You know that God has called you to be healthy, but sometimes circumstances haven't quite lined up with what God's Word says. And there's a walking out and, and a process process involved in standing on what God has said and walking it through until you see it beyond just a technical understanding, but to where you see it drop down into your heart, you begin to embrace those things by faith, and you begin to live in the experience of all the things that God has promised you and I. Amen? It's a, it's a walking out process. That's part of life. Trusting and believing and holding on to what God has said. Well, I want you to know today, God has said that his enemies have been made his footstool. Now, this idea of the footstool has been something that has been woven in and out of both the Bible and just natural history throughout the ages. If you, uh, How many of you have heard of, of the great pharaohs in Egypt, King Tutankhamun, one of the great pharaohs there who ruled? And I have actually a picture coming up right here. This is his throne, King Tutankhamun. Uh, some people would say King Tut. And, uh, and this right here, the picture on the left, is his footstool. All right, and I'm just giving you this as a visual demonstration of what the Bible is referring to here. And here on the footstool, these are actually the enemies of King Tutankhamun that are bound. Their hands are behind their back. And if you can see very faintly, there is a rope that goes from one neck to the next. And when the king would defeat an army, when he would defeat some other king, he would have them inscribed on the footstool. He would have that right at his feet, and he would rest his feet on the footstool as a visual demonstrative sign that his enemies were conquered and they were underneath his feet. This is what the Bible is referring to is that the enemies of God, therefore the enemies of you and I that stand in the way of the purposes and will of God being executed in our life are subjugated to him and are brought underneath his footstool. And this is our starting point. 
This is the place that can form as a strong belief system in our heart and life where we can begin to claim victory over all of the things that seem yet not subjugated to the will of God in our life. And perhaps you can begin to survey right now some things that you know God's victory is there for you. You know God has spoken to your heart about some areas where his freedom wants to be expressed, where joy wants to come in the place of sorrow, where freedom wants to come in the place where maybe you've been entangled with sin, where joy wants to come in the place of depression, where healing wants to come in the place of sickness in your body, or, 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 or peace in the place of strife in a relationship. God's victory has been declared for you. And now we're in the process of making those enemies his footstool, bringing them in subjection to his authority and to his rule. And the great thing is that when they are fully subjected to him, when we bring them to his footstool, we find that freedom in our life. We find that joy and that liberty in our life to be able to live in the full experience of all that God has provided for us. Well, That hopefully sets us up a little bit for the idea of the footstool and that that this text in Hebrews tells us that Christ now waits for his enemies to be made his footstool and the chief instrument that he uses to accomplish this grand cosmic task is none other than you and I. God has empowered us. God has saved us. He's redeemed us. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. And then he stood on a mountain, as we find in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18, and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now I'm passing that authority into your hands. Go into all the world and rule. Go conquer, go subjugate these evil forces of darkness and bring them to my footstool. This is what you and I are commissioned to do. Some of us can live our whole lives wrestling with freedom for our own individual lives. But to be honest with you, that's just the starting point. That's just the basics. The book of Hebrews would call that the elementary stage when we're still struggling with our own issues. God wants us to get those answers that are provided to us and what Christ has accomplished, see them worked out in our daily lives, and that God wants us to stand in places of authority where we can help bring other people into that victory and freedom that Christ has for them. Now, we're not just going over the same questions in our own mind. Does God really love me? Has he really forgiven me? Is God really for me? Can I be anything in this world? God wants that stuff answered way back when, and he wants you to move on to a new set of questions. What is my purpose on planet earth? What does God have for for me in this world? What forces of darkness stand in the way and are opposed to his his will and kingdom, that he can use me to conquer and make subject to his feet and bring to his footstool. Those are the questions that God wants us to be asking him, not all about us, but about his kingdom and his glory moving through us to accomplish the impossible. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Well, there's a beautiful story here found in the book of Joshua. I don't think we have time to read it all, but it's found in Joshua chapter 10, and I've just got a lot of different verses listed there for you. I would encourage you in your own time, maybe this afternoon or some point this week, go through and read 
uh, Joshua chapter 10. It is an incredible account with some really miraculous things that take place in the text, including the sun stopping for a while. I mean, it's a pretty wild story. But the the point that I want to bring out today are these five Amorite kings. These were kings that occupied a land that God had promised to the children of Israel. That promise came through Abraham and transcended down the generations to Moses. Moses had led them right up to the edge of that promised land. And then we know Joshua took over. He began to go in and bring that victory. And here, Here we can see again another vivid example of the difference and the gap between what God has promised and what still needs to be walked out. God says, I'm giving you that promised land. I'm giving you this land as an inheritance for you. But there was a problem. There were a bunch of ites, Amorites, Amalekites, walking through that land who stood opposed to the work and purposes of God and said, wait a second, I don't really care what God said, we're here, this land is ours. And so there was a walking out process, a a, a daily conquering, a weekly, monthly, yearly conquering that the children of Israel under the hand of Joshua had to go through to execute the will of God and bring these enemies, make them sub to the footstool of Christ, to the, to the, the purposes of God's will. And the same is true with our life as well. There are the things we know that God has promised us. Perhaps you have, like me, read the word of God and thought, wow, that sounds good. Wow, why can't I have that for my life? Where is that for me? But yet we find that there is a period where God has spoken it, and then he expects us to walk those things out and you be used as his instrument to bring the very victories that he has promised to us. He's there to back us up all the time, as we see he did in this story of Joshua chapter, chapter 10. So these Joshua, I'll set up the story here. Joshua, they had, they had won the victory. First of all, they had gone to Jericho. They had conquered Jericho. Then they moved on to Ai. And then because of the sin of one of the members and the children of Israel, they d- experienced a defeat at Ai. Then they cleaned house, dealt with that sin. Then they got a great victory at at Ai. And then those who were in the land, those enemy forces, they began to band together. They thought this, this, this leadership of Joshua and all of his armies seems like too big for us to conquer. So we're going to have to bind together. They formed a treaty and five kings, five rulers in the land came together and made a deal to go up against and attack the forces of Joshua and the children of Israel. And so they did, but God, through a, a, a wonderful work of his mighty power exposed their plans and actually Joshua went out and met them on the fields of battle and worked a great victory for them. He captured his forces, captured the five kings and they put them in a cave and put a large rock to hold them in the cave. Joshua said, I'm going to come back and deal with you in just a little bit. And that's where we find this reading I'm going to go down to uh, uh, verse 23. It says, So they brought the five kings out of the cave, and the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lasheth, and Eglon. In verse 24, When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel, 
and said to the army of the commanders who had come with him, come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. Imagine this story here for a moment. Somewhere up there on the hill is a cave. And they send a couple of soldiers out there. The children of Israel, the armies are gathered together. Here is Joshua dressed in battle. And he summons for the cave to be opened. And these five kings come out. I'm sure besheveled, trying to find their sight in the light that they had been hidden from them in the cave. Here they are in their regalia. And they come down and they're brought down. And Joshua says, put them on the ground. And he gets his generals out and he tells his generals to stand on their necks as a symbol and sign that they're under their feet. That these powers who had formed an alliance in a land that had been promised by God are now under their feet. They're being brought into subjugation to the will and purposes of God. And then Joshua gives the order for these kings to be killed. He hangs them by a tree all day and then destroys their bodies. All right, it's a pretty gruesome scene, as many of those scenes are played out in the Old Testament. And if you look at the, 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 the harsh victories, but God-inspired victories that God enabled Joshua to accomplish throughout his conquest of the promised land, you see that he dealt very harshly with these kings. It is a symbol and a type for you and I of the type of victories that God wants to grant us over things that have formed an alliance in our life that have come together to serve as a stronghold to stop the purposes of God from excelling and exceeding in our life. So my question to you this morning and for 2014, I know this is a family service and we're talking about killing kings here, but um, perhaps our kids need to hear it a little bit from mom and dad. To see mom and dad get a little bit... their backs up a little bit and say, you know what, some things that have gone on in our family, some things that have gone on in my life, some things that I've allowed to rule over me, some alliances that have been formed that have come against me or my household or my family, it's time to stand on the neck of these things and see them brought into the authority, under the the authority of Jesus Christ. It's time to make Christ's enemies his footstool. And the wonderful liberating help that God gives us is he said, just like he did with Joshua, I'm going to be here to help you every single step of the way. I'm going to do miracles in the middle of battle that help you win this victory. But you've got to go out and fight. You can't just accept the status quo in life. You just can't accept that these kings, these rulers, these things that have been in your life are just there to stay. You've got to take an aggressive attitude and know the armament that God has given you. Know his desires that are flowing through your heart for freedom and liberty and strength. And say, God, I am going to join an alliance with you. I am going to accept what your word says, that you are waiting for these enemies to be made your footstool. And I'm going to work hand in hand with you in this year to bring these things underneath my feet and therefore bring them completely subjugated to your throne and your lordship. Can I hear an amen? Amen. It's time. Maybe you can survey your life. Maybe you already know what some of these things is. Maybe it's not five. Maybe it's one. Maybe it's 20. Hopefully not. But maybe there are some things that have just gone on too long in your life that it's time to put them underneath your feet. 
to hang them from a tree and see them no more, have their victory no more in your life. I want to give you an example out of the New Testament of what we're talking about here and how perhaps practically this can be played out for you. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, we find a story that I think is very fitting and that is a good mirror image of the one we've read out of Joshua 10. We have here in Luke 8 the story of Jairus. Jairus, it says, was a ruler of the synagogue. Jairus was someone who understood authority. He was a ruler. He understood commands. He understood hierarchy. He understood orders. But yet Jairus had a problem that he could not solve on his own. Jairus had heard about the miraculous power of Jesus. He had heard about people, other people experiencing the touch of God, but he needed something for himself. He understood the scriptures. He basically lived at the synagogue. It was in his mind. He knew what God wanted. He knew what God had provided. He knew what he was working through Christ, but yet he was void of that power in his own life. And he was desperate. He was hungry because his little girl was at the point of death. It says here in Luke chapter 8, now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him, verse 41. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at the feet, uh, uh, fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. We see the story here, Jairus, desperate. I've got a 13-year-old daughter, and a two-and-a-half-year-old daughter, and something happens to them, things start to change inside of me, and I get a little bit desperate for answers real quick. How many parents know what I'm talking about? Nothing gets your attention quicker than when your kids are hurting or suffering. And so this man Jairus, though he had been versed in the Scriptures, though he had heard the stories about the power of God, it wasn't in his life right then. And so he sought out the very person who could make things happen for him. And he came as a synagogue leader, and he fell at the feet of Jesus. What I don't have in here, but you could read later, is this is when the woman with the issue of blood comes into the story. And she interrupts Jairus in his attempt to get a miracle from Jesus. And she comes in with her 12-year history and starts explaining 12 years of her past life. To Jesus and Jairus is, knows the time is ticking, but this lady keeps on talking. And while she's talking, one of Jairus' friends, he sees coming outside the crowd, comes up to him and says, it's over. The little girl has died. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. And that's where we pick it up here in verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Do not bother the teacher anymore. In verse 50, hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. If you go on and read the story, you find that Jesus begins to take Jairus back to the village where he has come from. And there they find the little girl and he goes into the house. He kicks everyone out, including the grandparents. He goes in and he begins to Bring healing to that little girl, and she's raised from the dead. And a great miracle transpires. But I think we have a wonderful illustration here of someone 
in a very practical setting in something that might be similar to what we go through. Maybe it's not a 12-year-old daughter, but maybe it's something else we're facing in life where it's beyond our ability and power. We know what God's truth is. We know what he's proclaimed. We know what he's said, but somehow it's just we need to see it work now. And there are some steps, some very simple steps that Jairus took here that I think if we pick up on, we could have the same miraculous outcome that Jairus experienced. And so I have here for you this morning three steps to making your enemies his footstool. Number one, recognize his, that's Christ's, lordship. You've got to start from a point of recognizing that Christ is sitting at the right hand of God and he waits. He has accomplished all that he is going to do. He has stripped the enemy of his power. He has made an open spectacle of him. He has triumphed him over him by the power of the cross. Now he sits and he waits. And he waits for you and he waits for I to recognize what he has done and to enforce his victory and to know that he is Lord and that all things must be subjugated to him. You must recognize his lordship. And so whatever you're facing today, or maybe it's nothing right now, but maybe as you go into this next year and something does come your way, I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance these words spoken this morning. And you'll begin to find some steps, some, some, some steps that you can take in your situation that will see God's victory realized in your circumstances. Recognize his lordship. Sometimes the great challenge is that when something comes up, maybe it's a natural ailment, maybe it's strife, Maybe it's, it, it's, it's, it's something in the home. Maybe it's a, a physical problem. For us to begin to believe that that problem is bigger than what God can solve. I've heard it as I have talked to people time and time again throughout the years. Tell me what you're going through. Obviously, they've come to me because something's wrong. And they begin to share with me. And I begin to question them about what they're going through, try to find out more. And many times I feel like they're hopeless. They've given up hope because things have been, have, have been there so long like that. Or perhaps the report from the doctor seems so real and seems so large that somehow God shrinks in the background. But the first part to making Christ's enemies his footstool, making your enemies Christ's footstool, is to recognize that everything is subject to his name. Everything must bow before him. Every form of disease, every form of deception, every form of sin, every form of temptation, every form of defilement must bow its knee before him and be brought to his footstool. Recognize his lordship in the midst of your problem. Recognize that what might be impossible with man is possible with God and that if you will believe him, anything can take place, anything can happen. That's what the leader of the synagogue, Jairus, did. He was a leader. He could have stand there in his own pride, in his own knowledge of the Scriptures, and says, well, I know what God's Word has said in the past. And he could have missed out, but yet he recognized the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and he immediately brought his problem to the Lord of all. Second step that he took was that he humbled himself. You see that he fell at the feet of Jesus. Here was a ruler, clothed 
in the garments of a ruler. He could have walked into that crowd and probably had some respect himself. But yet he humbled himself, threw himself at the feet of Jesus and said, I'm laying down my title. I'm laying down all that I know. I'm laying down all that I have been, the position that I've held, everything that I've thought previously. I'm coming and I'm laying it all down at your feet. I'm humbling myself before you. Then as the story goes on, Jesus begins to go with Jairus, but as they're walking, this woman comes in the scene, begins to kind of usurp the whole event, and the news comes to Jairus that his daughter is dead. And so Jairus has a decision to make. The words are coming in one ear saying, your daughter is dead, yet Jesus is saying, Jairus, only listen to me. Only believe in me. If you can believe, we can get a miracle out of this. The third step that he took was that he put himself under the authority of God's word. He said nothing will be greater than the words that come from the mouth of God. Jesus says, just believe in me. Don't be afraid. Jesus says, she will be healed. Jesus said, you will have your answer, Jairus. But there was a great turmoil, a conflict going on right here in the battleground of the mind and in the heart of Jairus. Is he going to believe what the word of God has said? Or is he going to believe the circumstances that he's seen with his natural eyes and hearing with his natural ears? But yet, the key to making Christ enemies, your enemies, his footstool, is to exalt the word of God over all else. To say, this is what God has said. This is what God has spoken. I know that God's word says that he who the Son sets free is free indeed. I know that the word of God says that we'll know the truth and he'll set us free. I know that the word of God says to stand fast in the freedom where Christ has set us free and be no longer entangled again with the yoke of bondage. God has spoken these words. He speaks them over your life. Perhaps you can think of the words that you've held on to in your heart. If you're not holding on to any of those words, then it's a grand grand time to get together with the Holy Spirit, to get together with the Word of God, and allow the Holy Spirit to begin to to lift these words off the pages, make them three-dimensional, and transcribe them into your heart so they become a living reality, and you can grab a hold of and embrace what God's Word says. And then whatever is being challenged in your life, whatever the enemy is coming to present to you as a hopeless situation where there is no answer, that is where you have the opportunity not just to recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ, but to humble yourself and to exalt God's word as the ultimate authority over all. Josiah held on to these things. He took these Three simple steps, and I'm not trying to minimize the things that we're going through and just say, hey, just do this and it'll all be over. But these are some good lessons in life when we allow what we're going through for for us to recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ in it all, humble ourselves before him, and to put ourselves under the authority of God's word. God worked a miraculous event in the life of Jairus and his family. The little girl was healed, and we read this story today of the miraculous power of God at work because Jairus' heart took the right steps. 
Let's see this year coming up. Let's see our lives and the enemies that have come against us. Let's see them made the footstool of Christ. Let's stand on the necks of kings that have sought to rule over our life. Let's embrace all that God would have for us. Let's get these things solved for our own personal lives. Let's get them behind us, and then let's start moving on into the grand cosmic purposes of God, why he created you, why you're here. It's something far greater than just a paycheck. It's something far greater than just building a resume. It's something far greater than just living life for yourself. It's something far greater than just being blessed sitting in a church. It involves you and your life surrendered fully into the hands of your master, carrying out his will and purposes, enforcing his victory, and extending the borders and boundaries of God's kingdom as an instrument under his mighty hand. Amen? Amen. Let's stand on the necks of kings and realize the incredible victory that Christ has given us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your words that have come to our heart this morning. Father, I don't want to minimize, I don't want to uh, play down some of the real things that we go through in life. But Lord, I also want to exalt you over all things. Your power over all things. Your authority over all things. You wait in heaven today as we sit here. You sit in heaven and you wait until your enemies are made your footstool. Father, some of us have adopted the same stance of just waiting. But Father, we've got a job to do. It's time for us to act here as your body on earth. And to take these powerful truths that have transformed the world and that have the power to transform our lives and to see them worked out in practical means and ways. And for us to stand fast in the liberty as, as children of God, sons and daughters of God, no longer entangled with yokes of bondage, but to stand on the necks of kings. And Father, I pray for individuals in this room today who have been towered over and under the shadow of an evil slave master who has laughed in the face of God, who has spewed their evil schemes and plans in the minds and hearts of your people, who have caused people to give up hope and say, Nothing's going to change. That's just the way they are. That's just the way life is. I'm going to have to learn how to cope and deal with it. But Father, you did not send your son so that we could learn how to cope in life, but so that we could have life and have it more abundantly. And with that truth exalted over our situations, Father, we bring these things. We recognize them. We point our finger at these kings that have sought to rule over our life. We expose their evil schemes and plans. We call them out and say that their days are numbered. And we're marching forward into victory, backed up by you and the heavenly host to see your kingdom come and your will accomplished. Father, we're not going to stand for it any longer. We will stand on the necks of kings. Father, we thank you for this and all that you're doing in our hearts and life. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen.